0: Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can be turning to Philippians chapter 2. Among our missions team, we do have uh, this saying in the missions office. We say, whatever the mission requires. If you've been around Pastor Chris Bass, or if you've been around others in the mission team, and some other people even started picking it up, Sam says it once in a while now, but um, I'm going to credit Chris, maybe with was starting that. I-, I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, it's kind of stuck with us. Whatever the mission requires... And I'm really here uh, on behalf of the missions team and, and to talk to you about missions this week. And that'll be the theme of our, of our message this morning. Whatever the mission requires, we're going to look at a man named Epaphroditus who takes up very few verses in the Bible. Uh, he's named only twice in scripture, both in the book of Philippians. Uh, but he lives this. He is the, I think, one of the, the perfect models of us for a life that lived according to this mindset, whatever the mission requires is what I'm willing to do, it's what I'm willing to give, it's what I'm willing to invest, and the mission, to be honest, is going to require a lot from a lot of us. You know, right now, it's requiring a lot to minister, to continue to minister in India, as we just heard about. And this will look different for different people, and it'll look different at different times in life, but I think there are some key characteristics and key character qualities that come out of uh, this man's life that we can take and then apply some key principles into our lives if we, too, are going to be ones who live as the mission requires. Meaning, we're going to be the ones who actually get to live to accomplish something that matters with our life, and that's because it matters for eternity. I think... uh, well let's read this first. let's just put these verses in mind. We'll start in second I'm sorry in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 25 down to the, uh, through the end and then we'll pray and I'll, I'll get us rolling in this. It says this second I'm sorry, I'm going to call this second Philippians for some dumb reason all morning because it's actually Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 25. Yet I suppose it ne- uh, necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion and labor, and fellow uh, soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully, that when ye see him again ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful." Therefore, I'm sorry, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Let's pray for this uh, time together and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father. We do thank you that you have allowed us to be a part of your mission. You've called us into your presence. You've called us into a ministry of reconciliation. You've called us into the work of discipleship. And God, I pray that we would be people who uh, are equipped and that that equipping would, would include getting a right mindset a mindset that that allows us to move forward even when things are difficult, a mindset that allows us to move forward when things are uncomfortable and unwanted, but a mindset that says no matter what you need, God, no matter what the mission takes, that's what we're willing to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So a quick summary uh, to kind of recap what I just read to you. So uh, Epaphroditus is from the church at Philippi. Uh, The church at Philippi was a church that that Paul knew well and loved well, and that church actually supported Paul in his missionary work. And there came a time when when Paul was put into prison again. This would be in his second uh, imprisonment. And they send Epaphroditus with a love offering to go and to minister to Paul. So Paul, in this, in the second uh, time he's in prison, he's really on house arrest. He's got this place that he's able to live and, and continue to, to minister and to receive visitors. And, and the church at Philippi says, well, then what do we do? How do we help Paul? How do we help Paul in his ministry? And they they collected some money. and they're, And so Epaphroditus is the messenger that went to Paul. And ultimately, what what happens is Paul is going to keep him for a while, and he's going to minister, but then Paul is going to write this letter of Philippians and send it back by the hand of Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus delivers what we now have as the epistle of uh, of Philippians to to that church. He carries that letter back to the the Philippian church, or the church at Philippi. And that's essentially all that we know about the life of Epaphroditus— and then a few just kind of character qualities that it lists here. Now, I think that Epaphroditus was the original Bilbo Baggins. Are you guys familiar with, you remember the, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings? Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm not like a, an expert on this stuff. The Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, maybe somebody is. Uh, and they'll set me straight, and that'd be good. Um, but Bilbo Baggins was, re, was recruited into a mission that he really didn't want to be a part of at the beginning uh, and then he was sent on this great journey and he goes and he, and he fights with the dwarves to help him win back a land and defeat a dragon and who's the like the king of the dwarves the guy does anyone know who's the guy anyone know that name nobody I don't even know if he's a king it doesn't even matter it's not maybe somebody new Uh, and he comes back and he finds that, you know, that, uh, all the hobbits thought that he had been dead and they're selling off all his stuff. And he's like, I'm not dead, I'm Bilbo. And they're like, You're not Bilbo, prove it. And he proves it. Uh, and so that's kind of a similar thing, the exact same thing that happens to Epaphroditus. He gets so sick, he almost dies, we're going to see here, and people thought he was dead, and he wasn't. And, um, but as, as that thing begins, as Gandalf, the, the wizard, comes and is, is talking to Bilbo and is, and is, kind of is, is giving him the, the challenge, the charge, the message, Bilbo asks him, he says, you will promise that I will come back, right? And Gandalf responds, no. But if you do, you won't be the same. And this is the same promise that that the Lord would make to each and every one of us as we consider the reality of entering into his mission. And maybe some of us would ask that. Lord, is it going to cost my life? If I get on this plane to go, will I I come back? Can you promise that I'm going to come back to my family? Can you promise that I'm going to come back to the church? Can you promise that I'm even going to stay alive? And the Lord, like Gandalf, is going to say, no, I can't promise you that. You have to weigh that before you go. But if you do come back, you won't be the same. Of course, if you've seen the movies or read the books, then you know that that's exactly what happens with Bilbo. He goes and he comes back, and he's not the same. Uh, And so perhaps this character is even based off of Epaphroditus himself, that movie character. So here's our key theme for this morning, then. Living for the mission requires you to disregard certain things. I choose that word because in verse 30 it says that that he was not regarding his own life. It will require us to disregard certain things. And that's basically the summary of Epaphroditus' life that because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death. Not regarding even his own life to supply your lack of service toward me. And we're going to look at his character and we're going to see certain things that, that we must disregard as we work through this. Paul would summarize it again and in chapter 3 in verse 8. Paul would say this of his own life. Yea, doubtless, but I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And this is the powerful mindset that, that Paul had. And Paul, of course, would have been the, the model and example for Epaphroditus. But, but Paul would have got this exact same model from Jesus Christ who he met on the road to Damascus. And, and when Paul writes about his life, Paul summarizes it like this. He goes, I'm willing and I've even lost all things. There's nothing that I hold so dear that I wouldn't give that up for the mission. Whatever the mission requires, Paul says, in fact, as I look back at all the things that I have or am or can be or am identified as, it's all done, That I may win Christ. Even that good-looking barber. Or whatever you're, you know, I don't, I just met... Mark, this morning, he's got a nice-looking motorcycle. I parked next to him. My motorcycle's not as nice-looking. I don't know what's in his heart. I don't know if that's his treasure. I just know it's beautiful. But you guys know what your treasure is, right? And whatever those things are, would we be willing to say, I can take all of those things and lay those aside so that Christ may be glorified? All right, so let's look at his name real quick. I just want to explain to you what Epaphroditus means his name means lovely or delightful in its most basic and kind of simplest form, but it's rooted in the name of the Greek goddess Aphrodite, and you kind of see that right in the middle of his, his name there. And it's Epaphrodite is kind of what it comes out of, Epaphroditus. Uh, she was uh, the god of or the goddess associated with love, beauty, pleasure, passion, and, and, and procreation, if you we were to keep it PG, uh, she was syncretized with the Roman goddess Venus. So if you're more familiar with whatever set of gods you know, it's Venus, Aphrodite. It's that type of person. So, uh, a Greek gambler before he would roll the dice would invoke Aphrodite. Um, she was kind of the goddess of the gamblers also with the phrase Epaphroditos. Which, so his name is kind of a play on that on that phrase, but what it literally meant was the favor of Aphrodite. So a gambler would, would roll the dice and would ask the, the goddess Aphrodite to give them favor as they gambled. So uh, what we know then, based uh, on his name, he comes from a Greek background, Aphrodite does. His family uh, were worshipers of the Greek gods, and specifically they were they were given to the goddess Aphrodite. They even named their son after it. So he is one who brings favor to Aphrodite. Uh, oftentimes, however, this name was the name of a slave uh, who was expected to, uh, to perform sexual service in honor of the goddess Aphrodite. So that might give you a little bit of background into his upbringing and maybe uh, the things that he has already suffered for a, fal- for a false god in his life. But that's who he is, as best we can gather, because we don't have a lot of, uh, of biblical insight into exactly who this man is. But we do see his character, and that's what we want to look at. His character beginning in verse again 25, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And then he begins to list out certain just descriptors of who he is. And first he says he's my brother. So we know that this man is a believer. He comes from a Greek background so he, he, he wasn't a Jew but he is a, 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 a Gentile convert to Christ. Which also means based on what we just said about their uh, affection for Aphrodite, that for him to come to Christ meant that he had to give up his family, he had to give up his religion, he had to give up his personal beliefs. He had to give up his master's beliefs. For him to come to Christ was actually a big deal. Many of us don't understand how big of a deal it is to actually put your faith in Christ in some cultures. Some of us here might, but most of us don't growing up in America and growing up in the Midwest and growing up in a generally Christian environment. Uh, we were just praying for India. Uh, I told you we used to live in Pakistan. Those are parts of the world where we're giving where, where Becoming a Christian actually requires you to leave everything that you have and are. Oftentimes in a place like that, your own family will try to put you to death simply for naming the name of Christ. And so likely this, this could have been the situation for him, though the Greeks were much more tolerant of, of multiple gods and may have just said, "Ah, whatever, new God for you, that's fine. Uh, the Hindus oftentimes say, new God for you, add Jesus to the collection. The Muslims would say, you want to follow Christ over your dead body. Not mine, but over yours, because we'll make sure. And that's oftentimes what the family will do. Now, so like all who, who, who do get saved, we must make an individual and, and personal choice, just like Epaphroditus did. Uh, you know, and, and we have this saying, the blood is thicker than water. Paul calls him a brother, but he's not just calling him a physical brother. Because blood is thicker than water, but the spirit runs deeper than blood. And some of you get that too, because some of you maybe have had to give up physical relationships. Or maybe you have found deeper and more meaningful relationships within the body of Christ than you actually have with your own blood now. Some of us have blood relatives who have rejected the Lord, who have have turned their back on the Lord, who think we're crazy for what we do. Here's the good news in the same relationship that Paul had to Epaphroditus is the relationship that many of you have found at Midtown. It's that I've got brothers now. So the mission number one requires a brotherhood. When we talk about what the mission requires, and and if I'm going to live a life that says whatever the mission requires, it requires that you get so deeply plugged into this body that you're able to look around and you can say, Guy Bailey's my brother, or Gordon Kimball's my brother, or whoever it is in this class that you are, are close to, you can't just show up. You can't just attend. The goal is, 1 Corinthians 12, that you become such an integral part of this body that you are, you are necessary. Whether you realize it or not or think you're insignificant, the fact that God puts you here means that God thinks you're necessary to this body. So it's not enough to get the Heavenly Father and then just keep showing up. It is for salvation, right? It's enough to get saved. You get the Heavenly Father. But I must have a brotherhood as well whom I'm willing to bond with, to have real and intimate relationships with, iron sharpening iron types of relationships. Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul writes, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother. You see the, the, the burden that Paul has for a brother in Christ when, when the messages go out in your WhatsApp and someone says, hey, I'm going through this or that. Hey, pray for me for this or that. And you respond, prayer hands. I and mean, then Sometimes it's good stuff. You're like, hallelujah hands. But then you don't actually pray. Or that doesn't actually touch your heart. You're like, I'll throw one up. Yeah, God, help so-and-so through the thing. Amen. All right, I prayed for you. Because we want to be able to say in WhatsApp, we're like, I did, I prayed for you. But Paul says, Where's, where is Titus? Titus, my brother, I had no rest in my spirit. Because he's at unrest. Do you have those kind of relationships in this room right now? You should. And the mission will require those types of deep and personal relationships. On Wednesday morning, we have a prayer meeting. It's usually primarily the staff and some of the pastors, and then a few other people will come in, but typically afterwards, um, we go into the kitchen to to raid the leftovers from the Tuesday night meal, and uh, it's a good time. It's like the best time. So it was Tuesday tacos. So Wednesday mor- you know, Wednesday lunch, we're getting tacos. So it's like me and Kenny and Brandon and uh, Mitch Dobson was in there, and Sam. Chris Miller wasn't there this past Tuesday. You know he was. Yeah, Miller was in there too. So it's like, you know, it's just this group of guys in the kitchen, and we're all trying to get food out. We're trying to warm it up, and we're, and we're joking around. And we're giving each other a hard time. And Kenny stops. He goes, "Guys, he goes, I feel like I'm in the kitchen with my biological brothers." And we're like, "Yeah, it does feel like that. Like it, this is this is what it was like growing up with having brothers." You should have that. You should feel that way about people in this room, about people in this body with you. If you don't, well, then invite someone to your house. You begin the process. Well, I don't know anybody. Well, invite them over for dinner. You'll get to know them. Either you'll sit there and stare at each other in silence, or you might just start talking. (laughs) Like you go, well, they're here. I guess... uh, What's your name again? I don't even start with the basics. (laughs) That's how we feel. And I love that. I love that I get to be a part of a body that has that, that that I have guys that I know would give uh, whatever to sacrifice to help me and to help me in my mission and I for them. And uh, and when things happen in their lives and when a message goes out in our pastor's chat, I know it's touching the hearts of those men. They're not just like they're like, oh, that breaks me too. You should be broken for the things that that your brothers are breaking for. So the mission requires that. The mission requires that we get one another's back. This is one of our principles here and Sam preaches it all the time, but it requires that we function in unity. It requires that we assume the best about one another when things are unclear. Right? I have... I have kids, my sons, biological brothers. They're just at that age where they don't assume the best about each other. It's like something isn't where it was supposed to be and immediately it's the brother's fault so they get in a fight and then the one who accused the other is like, oh yeah, I left it in the car, my bad. Probably wouldn't even say my bad. They're just getting, you know. We can't function like that. We cannot. The remission will require us to, to say, I've got your back no matter what. And we, we teach that and we preach that practically is we're sending people out on mission trips and we always say, you want to get some prayer partners. And in getting prayer partners, we want you getting people that will, will be so invested in the mission. If I'm in Dallas for the next three days and I say, John, I need you to be my prayer partner, that's not like, all right prayer hands whenever, that means like I might have to text you at two in the morning because something serious is going down and I don't expect you to be awake, but when you get up to do your devotions, like I expect that you're on your knees really wrestling with this thing. Because if, if if we're not, then the mission doesn't move forward. We have to get each other's back. We have to be praying. Next, he says that he says he's my brother. Then he says he's my companion in labor. So he's a coworker. It means he shares the load. He's willing to lift. He's willing to learn. He's willing to help in a work that, well, he may or may not know a lot about. He may or may not even be great at. And this is this is the, the mindset of a worker, though. And the worker will show up and say, whatever the job is today, I'm here to do it. And so Paul calls him a co. Laborer, and the, and the mission will require you to put your hand to the plow. If you're to live a life that says whatever the mission requires, I can, I can guarantee you the mission will require you to sweat, the mission will require you to, to labor, to study, to put your hand to the plow, and actually start doing some work. Sam mentioned it just recently. Back in the early days, we had, we had work days here because our building was a mess. Like, if you're, you've been here for like three years or less, you've probably never had a midtown work day. You didn't know what it was like to, to go, go into the church and then come out a couple hours later like covered head to toe in probably asbestos and dust. And <laughs> We probably shortened everyone's life. I'll just apologize on behalf of the pastoral team. If you were here then, sorry about that. Uh, You know, you're in there, you're like crawling into holes, sweating. Some people are like up in the attic above above the sanctuary. Some people are out on the roof. Like you're doing all kinds of jobs. Like I'm a nurse. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. I mean, my dad, my dad was a farmer. I guess I did a little of this stuff growing up, but you don't want me. You want Doug Fife. If you've got a work day, he's a farmer and a farmer's mindset, and a farmer will fix anything. But here's, here's what I know. I've got to be a co-laborer. And I can't just show up and be like, I'll just, uh, I'll just wait for someone else who doesn't know what they're doing to saw their finger off, because I know what to do about that, because I'm, I'm an ER guy. No, I've got to put my hands to the plow. I've got to get in there. I've got to start lifting. I've got to be ready to do the work. I have, to, I have to trust my harvest at some level to my co-laborers. Does that make sense? My judgment seat of Christ at some level is tied to my co-laborers as well. you got a big field, you got a big harvest, and you got one man to work it, uh, you're not going to have a good harvest you're going to hire some laborers. And if you hire lazy laborers, you're trusting your winter to those laborers. And this is the thing. We all pass through seasons in our, in our, in our spiritual life, in our, in our growth. There are seasons that are difficult. There are seasons of depression. There are seasons that are hard. All of us will face them. I hope that statement lands. We, we tend to think that maybe depression is a weird thing that some people face. No, depression is something that everybody will face. In seasons, we will all work through it, and, and we will go through winters. And in those winters, uh, we will be dependent upon the, the labor, uh, many times, of our co-laborers coming alongside and putting a hand to the plow and maybe moving a little bit more dirt because I'm struggling right now. The mission will require that, or simply we're gonna we're gonna end up partnering with small people. Angela Sanchez is one in a city of seven and a half million. It will require some of us to go and to put our hand to that plow and to get into that field and do some digging for short-term two-by-two mission trips, evangelism trips, opportunities, Boston, same thing. You guys know the deal. We've been talking about it a lot. 1 Corinthians 3.9, For we are laborers together with God. And this is the way that the mindset must function first. We are laborers together with God. I'm laboring with God. Jason's laboring to God well, that just made us co-laborers. And year God's husbandry, and year God's building. This this term is frequently used by Paul. This is not a, a unique thing for him to say that of Epaphroditus. He said it about Timothy, about Titus, about Aquila and Priscilla, about Philemon, about Marcus, about Aristarchus, about Demas, about Lucas, and there's a few more. The point is, he says it a lot. John, 3 John chapter 1, and verse 8, says, We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers of the truth. And he's just talking about those who are, who are coming and, uh, and bringing a similar message. And there, this will happen too. We see this happen, especially in our mission-focused conference and at different conferences. We end up just meeting people that we don't know or that we didn't train or we didn't produce. And we go, huh, uh, that kale guy, he's going to do a work of the Lord. Mission requires us to be co laborers. And some of you are going to go, I've got to get my hand on that plow too. Well, you might not go, but hand to the plow oftentimes means hand to the pocket, right? Hand, hand to the sign the check. Does anyone actually write a check anymore? No comment on that. I wasn't going to say it. Larry, you said it. You'd say, you said it. Listen, listen, the mission is never accomplished alone. The mission is never accomplished alone. There are no Rambos for Christ. There are no Lone Rangers. Paul worked in teams. Paul took men with him. And when Paul ended up in prison alone, well, the church understood this. They go, the mission doesn't happen alone. We got to send somebody. Let's get Epaphroditus over there. Paul's in prison. This is modeled for us in verse 26. It says that he longed after you all and was full of heaviness. So we see this idea of him being a brother and of him being a co-laborer. He is, he is so passionate about uh, the, the body of uh, believers back at Philippi is actually what it's saying, that he longed after them and he was full of heaviness. But look, the body of believers at Philippi were, were, were burdened by the fact that they heard that Epaphroditus was sick unto death. And so the church at Philippi is, is on their knees, Fasting and praying, and they're worried about Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus is getting healed up. He's like, I'm stressed because you're stressed over my sickness. Like they were both burdened one for the other. That's the heart that we must have as brothers and as co-laborers. Next, it says that he was a fellow soldier. There in verse 25. That's one who fights the battles with me. That's hand to the sword that's what the mission will require. Not only hand to the plow to move some dirt, but hand to the sword to do some fighting. The mission will require you to learn how to use the sword, so you must get discipled. You must be an LFBI. You need to be in a Bible study. You need to get trained in evangelism. You need to get trained in, in apologetics. You need to get trained in homiletics. You need, some of you need to be learning how to preach and how to handle the word so you can deliver it to others. And there are opportunities to do all of those things at this church. But you must get trained as not just a worker, but as a fighter. I gotta get lean, I gotta get mean, I gotta get strong, because fights are coming. It requires a willingness to die. Whatever the mission requires, if that is our mindset, it literally means that I may not come home from this trip. I may not come home from this trip to church even. It must require us to settle this issue. Is God worth not just my living my life, but my giving of my life? So I must trust my life to him, and that also means that I must trust the next generation to him. Because if I'm a soldier, I've got a young family right now. And a lot of us would use that as an excuse to say, I can't be a soldier because I have a family. Listen, I have to trust the next generation to him too. Should the Lord see fit to take me out now, what if my children? Well, I'm trusting in, in the Lord to deal with that. I'm trusting in y'all to deal with that as fellow laborers who would help out and pick up and take over and, and own my kids. I'm trusting that this body and God would not, would, would, would not let them down either. But that cannot be a reason or excuse as to why I cannot go or cannot get involved. This is an interesting term, though, fellow soldier. We know that literally Paul wasn't a soldier. He wasn't in the army. He was a, he was a scholar. He was trained in books, not in swords. Uh, so he's not one who's, who's referring back to those days in, you know, in the Roman army. Uh, he's using it as a spiritual reference into the battles that he's entered into with the Lord. However, he only calls two people in the Bible fellow soldier. Well, three, I think, by, by implication. He only uses that word twice. Once right here, specifically of Epaphroditus. So this is a very unique thing. He uses it again in Philemon of uh, Archippus. Uh, and, he, and he says, we, he is a fellow soldier with us, talking about him and Timothy. So it's Timothy and, and Epaphroditus and Archippus. Other than that, he doesn't call anyone else a fellow soldier. And I think this is, is true of what we find in the church. We, have, we find a lot of people who are willing to, to put their hand to the plow and get involved in the labor and the, the dirt moving, but when it comes time to actually get equipped to fight, you'll find few, many, much fewer who are willing to put their hand to the sword and to do the work of the fighter. We got a lot of gardeners. We have few who know how to hold a sword and shield. And that's what Paul was saying. This man was willing and knew how to do both. Soldier, in fact, itself is an interesting word in the singular. It's only used five times in the Bible, and they're all in the New Testament. So soldier isn't, you know, really laid out for us all that much. But most famously, 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that worth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him has chosen him to be a soldier. And so listen, the mission will require you to fight. Whatever the mission requires, I can tell you right now, the mission will require you to fight. And the mission will require you to be willing to give your life, and he models this, we saw it in verse 30, because for the work of Christ, Epaphroditus was nigh unto death. So he had to make this journey. He went from Philippi to where, where Paul was in and, and house arrest. It was about a, I, I read it, I think I, I don't think I wrote it down, 730-mile journey. They estimate it took 57 days uh, to walk it uh, if you stopped for, for Sabbaths. That's almost two months of solid walking just to get there. This is the mission that he was willing to go on. It's the mission that almost killed him somewhere along the way, or once he got there to Paul, he got so sick that he, he nearly died. Um, Paul says, if this guy dies, this is going to break my heart because they're brothers. This is going to hurt me very deeply. And he said God was merciful on him, and, and he uh, is restored to full health. And then Paul goes, you're such a valuable member of this team. I need you to stay here and minister to my wants. And that's the next thing that it says about him, is that he was one who ministered to his to the wants of Paul. And he was willing to stay, even if that wasn't his original assignment. His original assignment was probably go, take the letter, and then just come on back. But Paul said, you need to stay for a while, because I need your help. And he was willing to do that. This word describes someone whose, whose love for something causes them to undertake expensive uh, expensive care and duties at their own expense. You know, in, in the Greek civilization, uh, they loved their city so much that they undertook certain civic duties not out of obligation, but just out of love. They're like, I, I just think that fountain's so beautiful. Uh, Saturday morning, I'm going to go clean it. And who's paying you to clean it? Nobody. I just love it, and I just love my city. It's that kind of mindset, right? And so that's the mindset that he says Epaphroditus had towards him and toward the mission. As said, he would come, and when Paul said, look, I'm, st- I'm on house arrest. They're feeding me ramen every day. Uh, you know, some days I'd like to get some vegetables. And Epaphroditus said, let me go get a job. And I'll support you and me through that job. Epaphroditus was also trained uh, in writing. There, there's uh, speculation they probably did actually was the, was the pen, was the hand that penned some of the letters. He probably did some writing for Paul, some journaling, some documenting, as Paul has uh, you know, struggled with that, as we know. It appears that, uh, that these are the things that Epaphroditus literally did while he was there. He just ministered to, the, to, the, to his wants. Whatever you need, that's a hard position. Not many of us are willing to say, I, I, I'll put myself in as a servant. You need servants? Plug me in. Ah, oh, thanks. Can you grab me some coffee? I'm, who do you think I am? I should be preaching. I don't grab coffee. Okay. Will you grab me some coffee? Romans 15 and verse 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. God called Paul to the work that he didn't necessarily want. Paul was happy in his, in, his, in his role ministering as a Jew, and even after he, was, he came to Christ, he would have been just as happy uh, ministering to his brothers in the faith, and he tells us that. He's like, I want to go to the Jews, and God said, I want you to go to the Gentiles. And Paul said, well, whatever the mission requires. Plug me in as one who would minister to the wants of the Lord. Paul was, was, again, the example in this. Paul got his example, of course, from the Lord God himself. Also, he was a messenger, it says next. Oh, let me tell you this, in in terms of uh, ministering to my wants. Also, the mission will require you to value other cultures and priorities. Especially if you're going uh, on a missions trip or as a missionary, we don't have really any time to dig into this, but the mission will will require you to value other cultures and priorities and, and the idea that things can be done differently and can still get done. Uh, So just put that away in the back of your mind. Messenger. That's the last thing that Paul says about him. He's also the messenger. He came from you to me, and and Paul ends up sending him back. This is the same word that's translated as apostle. So uh, Epaphroditus was a sent one. He was an apostle from the Philippian church to Paul, and Paul sends him back. In Philippians 4.18, Paul writes, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. An odor of a sweet smell and of a sacrifice, acceptable and well-pleasing to God. That's the only other time his name is mentioned. But he, he is one who came and brought uh, the right message at the right time. Proverbs 25, 13. As the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him. For he refresheth the soul of his masters. And the point here is that, is that are you one that we can entrust with the message? The mission will require you to take a message and deliver it and make sure it gets to the people on the other end. The mission requires us to prioritize the message over even our own wants, desires, and times at home. What we see here from this passage is, is that it says that Epaphroditus longed for his church back at home. It seems to me like Epaphroditus wasn't one of those guys who was just naturally built for missions. He got there and immediately he's thinking about getting home. Some of you may be like that. Pastor Kennedy has shared that he's like that. As soon as he lands in Africa, he's already thinking about, how soon do I get home? I'm not built like that. This may sound weird to everyone who's married. We were just in Dallas. Miles and Lisa were asking me about about missions. They're like, I was there by myself. I didn't bring my wife or my family. And they go, is this hard for you? Is it a struggle? Do you miss your family? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I miss my family. And I call them, and it's good to see them. But I don't like I don't dwell on that I don't know it's just this weird thing in me it's a, when I get on the on the plane to go on a mission trip my heart and my soul and my mind know that I am going for one singular purpose and if I'm spending all my time you know missing my wife then my heart and mind aren't in the, in the mission that's here right now like I'm running around Dallas they're like do you miss your wife and I'm like no not right now I know that sounds weird to some of y'all, but God put me there on to work. And I'm like, I'm just here to work. Not everyone's built like that. I think my wife gets that. I love my wife. I'm not saying that as soon as I get on the plane to come home, that changes. And I'm like, it's time to get home. Um, But when it's time to work, it was time to work. When I'm on the mission, I'm on the mission. And I can prioritize that over the things at home. Why? Because I know I have fellow laborers, and I know you guys are looking out for her while I'm away, and I don't have to worry about that. And I know God's got that. But the mission will also require a deep passion for souls. Because we've got a message that has to get there. So uh, a life lived by this motto, in, in accordance with this idea, whatever the mission requires in summary, must expect a couple simple things. And we must expect stress, hardship, which is something we don't generally want. But we know that we, you know, if you want to grow muscles, anyone in here? Sorry to take the obvious choice. If you want to grow muscles, what do you have to do? you got to move something heavy, but that makes your muscles sore, right? Like, you put your muscles under stress. But this is scientifically what we know to be a fact. You only grow under stress. Actually, you grow when you start to rest, but you have to get that stress in order to grow. So we should desire the stress. We should be looking for the hard times because that is what pushes us into growth, physically and spiritually. Whatever the mission requires, it will require stress, so just set your mind on it. It it will require sickness, and it will require work. And if Epaphroditus fails, or if Epaphroditus is not willing, then number one, the message is not delivered. If you fail, or if you are not willing to engage in the mission that God has called you to, then at some extent, the the message is not delivered to the people that God has called you to deliver it to. Number two, Paul ministers alone. If you fail or refuse to live by whatever the mission requires and to engage in the mission, then Larry's going to Laramie alone. But that's not the way that God planned it. And number three in verse 30, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his own life to supply your lack of service toward me. When you refuse to engage in the mission at that level, then somebody else has to pick up your slack. And that nearly cost Epaphroditus' life doing his job and yours. So we must be willing to take that mindset and say absolutely, whatever the mission requires, And these are the things that we'll require. I'm willing to do that because souls are worth it and because souls were worth it to God. We're gonna... I'm gonna pray and someone's gonna come and wrap up. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity just to... to stand before your people this morning and to open your word and to consider your mission. Lord, I pray that you would just take the points and stick them to the hearts where they need to be stuck and uh, that we would be a people who would say whatever the mission requires, God will give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.